Today is Independence Day, also called the 4th of July. It commemorates the passing of the Declaration of Independence by the Continental Congress on July the 4th, 1776. It's a day to celebrate the best of American qualities that have made this nation the great nation it has been. But I want to begin my message this morning by sharing with you three quick stories that uh, I feel greatly reflect upon where I feel America is today and where we need to be going. The first story was when I was in college taking a course on religion. I had to write a paper for the religion class and the professor assigned to me to write on the character Josiah in the Bible. I didn't know who Josiah was, but I found out quickly. You read about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Uh, when he became king, uh, the nations of Israel and Judah were being invaded by outside forces that were often destroying the city and sending the people out in exile and captivity. Josiah became king about 600 B.C. And the temple was in ruins, not only from the invasions, but also because, as you know, reading the Bible, that more often than not, the people of Israel really didn't abide by their faith. And many of them were beginning to worship other gods and pagan gods in different temples. So they neglected the main temple itself of their Jewish faith. So as Josiah's workmen were working to restore the temple, the ruins of the temple, they came across some documents in the rubble that they realized quickly were the book of the law, probably the book we call Deuteronomy in the Bible, the law of Moses. And being a good and righteous king, unlike most of the kings we read about in uh, the Old Testament, Josiah reestablished that law among the people as a guideline, a base for their daily living and their behavior, uh, let alone their faith with God. He realized that they had drifted from that basis in life and needed to restore it. He said, we need to start living by the law again, by the scriptures. My second story comes from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, the prophet. In 450 BC, the people of Israel, who had been in exile now for a generation or more, were allowed to return to their homeland and to the city of Jerusalem. But when they got there, Nehemiah saw that the walls of the city had been destroyed or had just crumbled and he knew they needed to rebuild those walls for the safety and for the, the stability and the unity of their community. In fact, I actually wanted to entitle my message today, Rebuilding the Walls. But when Clay saw that, he said, you know, you can't do that because in today's heated political climate in America, People will see that title and think you're talking about the wall with Mexico. And a lot of people won't hear anything else you have to say. Unfortunately, he was right. That's true today. My third story comes from my first years when I moved to Memphis, Tennessee with my uh, first full-time ministry. I went there in 1972. 
That was four years after Dr. Martin Luther King had been assassinated at the Lorraine Motel. Prior to King's death, Memphis had a strong ecumenical, meaning religious environment, and a very strong Memphis Ministers Association. More than a hundred clergy, black, white, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, from rich churches, from poor churches, they would meet together on a monthly basis. But when King was killed, politics and racism became the main agenda in the Ministers Association. And so they soon were lucky to draw 15 to 20 people to their monthly meetings. And because I was new, they asked me if I would agree to head up the association for the next year with the goal in mind of rebuilding it. And I told them I would if I could do it my way. And they said, okay. So I took politics and the social issues off the front burner, assigned them to an active committee, but I replaced the main topic for each meeting's agenda, things that all ministers of different backgrounds had in common that we could talk about together. Like, how do you spend your time during the week? How do you go about preparing your sermons? How do you raise church budgets? How do you deal with staff? How do you deal with difficult church members? We all had that in common too. And within a few months, we were back to having over 125 ministers coming to the meeting because we had put the issues on the back burner and focused first and foremost on what we have in common. So we're here today on the 4th of July. Nobody is a more red-blooded, flag-waving American patriot than I am. I get a lump in my throat. I get chills rubbing up down my spine when I hear patriotic music like we just sang, America. I have loved the 4th of July and I've loved fireworks ever since I was a little kid and before I even knew why we shot them off. I just knew they were a lot of fun. The more I have traveled in the rest of the world, wonderful though many other countries are, the more I am so grateful that I live in this country, was born in this country. But like many of you, I am greatly concerned about the direction in which our country is headed. Now I know old men are always feel that the next generation is taking the country to hell in a handbasket. Only it's not the gener next generation I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about where our current generation is heading the direction of our country. I used to be called a liberal preacher and I guess I was on the left side of center. But our woke culture today has moved so extremely far left that I'm now on the right. And you know something? I don't believe I've changed. Step by step, we have torn down the walls that made America and had given us the security, the stability, and the unity that we need as a country. For example, 40 years ago, I was preaching 
that I was concerned that we have replaced e pluribus unum, which we have on our, our money, which means out of many one, out of many backgrounds, one nation, one United States of America, we have replaced that with the idea that out of one country, we now have created many different divisive tribes. On our money, we print in God, we trust. But so many people have replaced God with money and materialism. Maybe it all began when we took prayer out of the schools because one woman, Madeline Murray O'Hare, said that the will of the majority shouldn't be forced upon the minority, and we said, okay. Then they didn't want the Bible read in schools, and we said, okay. As Billy Graham's daughter said recently, people trash God, then they wonder why the world has gone so wrong. How can we expect God to bless and protect us when we've demanded that God leave us alone? Then Dr. Spock said we shouldn't spank our children. And we said, okay, in spite of what the Bible said about sparing the rod. Then we took discipline out of the schools and we wondered why our children misbehaved and teachers couldn't control the classrooms. Then we gave realistic killing video games to our children and began to wonder why they're shooting and killing each other in real life. Then pornography took advantage of the digital age and became the number one user of the internet. And today it ruins many relationships, many marriages. We have desensitized the value of human life. We've lost respect for the dignity of other people, all other people. We've removed any sense of moral authority for the values of life. How many of you have noticed that at the same time, churches and religious life have greatly decreased in this country? Things like depression, despair, anger, suicide, especially teenage suicide, divorce, road rage, crime, drugs, loss of civility, all these things and more have greatly increased. One other thing that I would say America has become a very diverse culture, but we don't know how to live with that diversity. So many whites can't accept blacks. Blacks can't accept whites. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Asians and Hispanics are attacked right in our streets in broad daylight. We haven't learned how to live with each other in a pluralistic, diverse country and world for that matter today. But you know all that. You read about it. You experience it probably daily. So let me shift gears and let me share with you some thoughts and some quotes about freedom and democracy on this 4th of July. About the time that America was born, a professor who was writing about the fall of Athens made the following comments about the survival of a democracy. He said, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. 
And when I would describe largesse today in terms of entitlements for both rich and poor. He went on to say that from that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy, always followed by dictatorship. The professor went on further to describe the cycles through which any civilization will go. He said, civilizations progress through the following sequence, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, from dependence back into bondage again. Now, where do you think America is on that cycle? From bondage to spiritual faith, freedom from Britain and freedom from and for religion. From spiritual faith to great courage, the Revolutionary War. From courage to liberty, the Declaration of Independence. From liberty to abundance, the wealth, the prosperity, and the abundance in this new country. From abundance to selfishness, isolationism and the me culture. From selfishness to complacency, the silent majority content with what they have. From complacency to apathy, low voting rates, decreases in volunteers, Nobody wants to be a leader today. Uh, from apathy to dependence, dependence on big government and paying someone else to do what we ought to be doing. And from dependence to bondage again. We haven't gone that far yet. Now let me share four quotes from Thomas Jefferson who's considered one of the founding fathers of our nation and who was the one who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Quote number one, the democracy will cease to exist when you take away from those who are willing to work and give to those who would not. Quote number two, it is incumbent on every generation to pay its own debts as it goes a principle which acted on would save one half the wars of the world. Number three, Jefferson said, I predict future happiness for Americans if they can prevent the government from wasting the labors of the people under the pretense of taking care of them. And number four, my reading of history convinces me that most bad government results from too much government. Now I know our modern woke culture will poo-poo ideas like that as being outdated as they do with so many other things, but you know, truth reveals itself in reality. Just look at the reality of what's happening today. And so the important question is, where do we go from here? What can we do? if we're concerned about the direction in which our loved, beloved nation is heading. 
Let me begin like Josiah and Nehemiah by rebuilding the walls or the foundations. And I'm not talking about the wall with Mexico or with any other nation, but the walls of moral authority. And like my experience in Memphis, let us all as Americans focus on what we have in common together instead of always focusing on our differences and making that the main thing. And as Christians, we should rebuild our base, the basics for Christianity, which clearly is set forth in the Bible in many places, Hebrews states it very clearly, that we should be focused in Jesus Christ. We should practice the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. We should know scripture. We should not neglect our coming together like this for worship and we should witness our faith to others. And the number one way that you witness your faith is to do your part in turning things around. It is to live your faith every day in every relationship, every encounter, everything that you're involved in. People ask, well, what can I do to make a difference in the world? I'm just one little person. Well, let's start by being more intentional about practicing respect and kindness, civility, compassion, and love for every other person that we see. Let's be a part of the solution like Jesus taught instead of being a part of the problem. Let's live our faith seven days a week and not just talk about it here on Sundays. Let's do for others, care for others and not just ourselves. Let's rebuild those foundations of dignity, respect, morality, integrity, decency, and kindness in the way that we live our lives. And like Jesus said, like the leaven working in the dough, if we would all start doing this, not just talking about it, but doing it, with more deliberateness, we will begin to make a difference. And it will affect others around us and it will affect others beyond them. And finally, let's stop sitting back and being silent while others control the direction in which we are headed. When I heard it said that the American flag, old glory, is a racist flag and needs to be replaced, I said, enough is enough. Speak up. Don't be afraid of what others are gonna say or accuse you of being if you speak what you really believe because your silence isn't doing anything good. Let's speak out and do what we need to do to turn things around that our nation might become, as someone called, a shining city on a hill, an exceptional and exemplary nation a light for the rest of the world. When that happens, we will really be able to celebrate the 4th of July. Amen.